Life is overwhelming. In the midst of our modern chaos, all the technology, all the demands, all the bills, the kids, the job, the marriage, it's easy to forget that our Bible is full of stories of people who found themselves overwhelmed too. From Hannah, the mother of Samuel, to Mary, the mother of Jesus. From Nehemiah, a builder, to Jesus, a carpenter. They all knew what it was like at times to carry an overwhelming sense of smallness. Though each circumstance was different, each reaction was the same. Some of the greatest prayers ever prayed. Somebody got me an iced coffee before this service. And I just want to say there cannot be, it cannot be legal what's inside of those. I'm excited to be with you though. I got a lot to talk to you about. How are we? Man, good to see you. So good to be with you. And uh, hey, we're talking about the, the greatest prayers ever prayed in the Bible. And they gave me the assignment of uh, Nehemiah. And so we're going to look at Nehemiah today. If you've got your Bibles, open those up to Nehemiah chapter 1. But if you need notes, raise your hand because we want to make sure you have an opportunity to write these things down. I've got a lot uh, for you. And uh, um, hopefully you'll keep these notes with you because you're not going to remember much of what I said. That's just the reality. I mean, U.S. Air Force study says that you forget 95% of what you hear within 72 hours. So keep these notes because pastors work on these messages all week, sometimes multiple weeks, and you forget them. So (laughs) thanks for that. Hey, my wife is here. I want you to say hi to my wife, Janie, over here. And uh, we've been married 19 years. We have three boys and two of my boys over at the Apple Valley campus. Riley and Aiden, they're 16 and 13 years old, and I want to apologize to the Apple Valley campus, uh, but, but put them to work, setting up, tearing down. Um, and then Levi's here, sorry, workers, and the Children's Center. But anyway, so hello, Apple Valley, hello, Phelan, hello, Hesperia, good to be with you uh, today. We just got back from a, a three-week tour on, in an RV. And uh, so, yeah, we've been around the United States for three weeks visiting family in the Midwest, in the South. And we visited our good friends Chip and Joanna Gaines down there at Magnolia Farms. Anybody, anybody watch the show Fixer Upper? Yeah, right? I know, man. Well, they don't know us, but since I watched the show, you know, I feel like we're buds. We're friends. Chipper, you know, and stuff. Jojo. So we're buds. But, uh, yeah, so, so we're... We were, let's see, so we were there last week and it was 97 degrees with humidity to match, <laughs> hot and humid. And then we went up to Colorado and uh, we were at 9,000 feet elevation and one night there was a, a storm predicted that it, it actually said um, moderate to heavy snowstorms. <laughs> it was 30 something degrees. I was like, this is crazy. And then we came here and it was 100 degrees last night at 4 p.m. All right. So hopefully, though, this heat that you feel here is as close as you get to the fires of hell. Because I'm an evangelist. I'm here to help you. Okay? So I want to make sure 
You stay away from that place. But hey, glad we're here. Get your notes. We're going to jump in this series. We're calling Overwhelmed, Greatest Prayers Ever Prayed. And in this series, we've looked at these people in the Bible who are in many ways just like us. And here's what I want you to understand is as you look at these you know, characters, sometimes we say characters in the Bible, and it could be easy to kind of go, oh, they're kind of made up or fictional or what. Well, they're not. These are people that experienced real emotions, real situations that you and I experienced. Same thing. And so it's good for us to see, you know, when God put this in his word, he knew we'd be reading it today. He knew that this would be something that we're going to uh, be able to learn from. And so I'm going to talk about the overwhelming feeling of regret. And we're going to look at this from perspective of how do we deal with that when it comes to prayer. And just by a show of hands, how many people here would say that you've dealt with regret in the past? Just raise your hands. Keep them up. Yeah, look around. Right? We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. Those that didn't raise their hand, hopefully later on in the series, we're going to talk about lying. Okay? Because that's something <laughs> that you need, clearly. Okay? You clearly need that. And so hopefully that will be coming up in one of these. But everybody experiences regrets because we're all human. And we all miss the mark sometimes. And we all wish we would have done something or we regret something that happened. You know? Hey. I grew up as the most passionate, lifelong San Diego Charger football fan. I regret that decision. Okay? They're in L.A. now. They're dead to me. I'm also a Padre fan. San Diego Padres. And you know what? After watching the Dodgers play this year, yeah, 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 enjoy it. I regret my decision, okay, to be a Padre fan. But I can't help that. But I'll be focusing on Nehemiah 1, and uh, 4 through 11 really is going to be the focus. And isn't it great? Nehemiah's name, the name Nehemiah actually means the Lord is my comfort. That's great to know when you're overwhelmed. It's a great reminder as we look through this book. And if you have your Bibles, let's get there. Matter of fact, let me find out who brought their Bible today. Would you raise up your Bible? I just want to see where the real Christians are. I just want to find out if there's anybody who believe it. No, I'm just kidding. I know we got our phones, our tablets. That's great. All those are Bibles. It's the Word of God, whether it's in paper, whether it's digital. Amen. Okay, so here we go. It's an incredible section of Scripture that shows how regretful and how burdened Nehemiah was and what he did in response to that overwhelming feeling. It's most certainly a model that we can all follow whenever we're dealing with regret, whether you're regretful over something you did or something somebody else did. He gives us an example we can follow. I want to give you a little bit of framework of history. Uh, I love biblical history, and I, I love trying to frame things so we understand kind of sequentially what happened. Pastor Tom kicked off the series, and he talked about Daniel in the lion's den. And if you happen to read the Bible, you'll notice Nehemiah comes before Daniel in the Bible. Okay, now the problem with that is it's not chronological. And if you read the Bible and you think it's a chronological situation, the Bible's not chronologically set up. You need to get a chronological study Bible if you want to go through timelines like that. So what we're looking at right now are events that happened after Daniel. Okay, so when you think about uh, what Pastor Tom was talking about with King Darius, you remember King Darius and he was the king in charge at the time. Well, then he had a son named Xerxes. Everybody say Xerxes. That just sounds funny when you say it. I wanted to hear you say it. Okay. And then after Xerxes came his son, Artaxerxes. Say Artaxerxes. Okay. And so you got, Art, you got Artaxerxes. So he's the grandson of Darius. 
Now he's in charge when Nehemiah brings the request that we're going to talk about to him to give you a little bit of that kind of time frame of where we're at. So grandson of Darius, who Pastor Tom was talking about. So we're talking about 445 to 420 BC. Okay, a long time ago. All right, if you want to know what things were like back then, then just go ask Pastor Tim Wheeler. Okay, because he remembers. All right, he grew up with Nehemiah. He'll tell you. Okay, no, I love Pastor Tim. Come on, gosh, you know. And, um, but listen, this is during the second temple period. Why is that important? Because the first temple was destroyed when the Israelites were disobedient to God. And then there was a decree that allowed the Israelites to go back into uh, Jerusalem and build a second temple, which was dedicated in 515 BC. So the temples back there, some Jews who had been exiled when the Babylons had kicked them out of Israel, had overtaken them, the Babylonians, um, had come back. Some are back there. And this is where we pick up the story. But many Jews hadn't returned, even though they were allowed to. They had been exiled, but then they were allowed to return. And many of them didn't come back. But some did. The Persian Empire took over the Babylonians. Now, you've got to see this picture. That whole area, this was the largest kingdom in world history to that date. Persia took over the Babylonians, which if you can picture it in your mind, it's modern-day Iran, Israel, all of Palestine, Syria, and then all the way down to Egypt. They owned that whole area. They had conquered that whole scene. Okay, so they were the big kids on the block when all this has taken place. And the events in the book of Nehemiah occur over a 13-year period. And one of the main themes is this building of the wall around Jerusalem. Short story is he gets it done. And he gets it done quickly in 52 days. And you wonder how? How could that even happen? Because he prayed. He prayed. And miracles happen when we pray. It's a miracle to get anything done in California building-wise. Right? You can't get anything done in 52 days. I couldn't get a call back from the permit office in San Diego because we're building bathrooms. I couldn't get a call back for 52 days. All right, I mean, it's, it's hard to get stuff done. We have these uh, bathrooms. It took us 12 months to build bathrooms in San Diego at our campus. I mean, come on. You know, we learned pretty quickly. People won't come if they don't have a place to go. <laughs> Something we learned, man. We had to provide we had to provide. <laughs> Woo. Nehemiah is overwhelmed at the thought of his beloved city is in ruins. And he feels the pain of regret that his people have not been faithful to God and the remnant of Jews who survived the exile, who were living in Jerusalem at the time, who were in constant danger of being killed by surrounding armies and invaders. So Nehemiah asks permission to go and rebuild the wall. Perhaps he's feeling regret because he hadn't gone sooner. That's what I think. I think if you look at contextually what's going on here, I think he gets this report back and he goes, oh, I stayed in my comfort area. He was second in command. I mean, he was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Okay, that's a big deal. That's the most trusted position in the kingdom. And he stayed when he could have gone back to where God wanted them to be. He wanted the Jews to go back, but he stayed. And I think he's feeling the pain of regret. He hears a report. They're not getting along well at all, bro. This is bad. And he goes, oh, no. I should have. I could have gone back earlier. But there's a lot of comfort in the kingdom of Persia. 
His food's taken care of. His housing's taken care of. He's in a good situation. He was very comfortable. But it's the events leading up to this bold move to ask the king that we're going to focus on. Man, the book of Nehemiah is a great book. It's a diary of a general. It's a memoir. It's a historical record. It's a leadership handbook. It's a great book. And all of that happens in 13 short chapters over a 13-year period. It's phenomenal. So let's get into the reading of God's Word. Chapter 1 of Nehemiah, if you have it there, I'm going to read it. In the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev. What is Kislev? That's November, December. Month of Kislev. In the 20th year. What's the 20th year? Well, 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. He says, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that's the capital. So while I was in the capital, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. And they're in great trouble and disgrace. So what he says. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. This is no little thing. You have to understand. If your city, the walls are broken down, it's not like, oh, we got to go repair it. You know, we got to get Caltrans out and we're going to get this thing fixed. It's not like that. It was a credible disgrace that the walls of your city were broken down. Incredible disgrace. It was a black eye. It was shameful. And that your gates were burned? Incredibly shameful. It says, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, listen to what he says. I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, here's this prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins. We Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Now listen to this, in verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. That's Jerusalem. They are your servants and your people whom you whom you're redeemed, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. That's the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. As we get ready to dive in verse by verse to understand a little bit more. Open our hearts and open our eyes because your word is living and active as you told us in Hebrews. We trust that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you this quote from E.M. Bounds. This is a guy that has written a lot about prayer. Take a look at this quote. It says, we are constantly on a stretch, if not on a strain to provide new methods, new plans, new organizations to advance the church and secure enlargement and efficiency. But people are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better what? People. God said this a long time ago in Ezekiel. 
Look at this verse in Ezekiel 22.30. In Ezekiel it says this, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found what? No one. I look at that and I go, no one? The Bible tells us God's always searching the hearts of people, right? To find someone who's willing to follow. To follow him. And he said, I found no one. I think to myself, no one that would stand up and say, I follow God. Man, we see that in our culture today. Is there anyone that will follow, stand up and say, I follow Jesus Christ. I believe what the Bible says. No, I don't care what culture says. I understand this is all okay by the law and everything else. But I believe what the Bible says. I follow the word of God. And God says, I'm looking for people like that. And so we're going to get inside a look at the heart of Nehemiah. He was a man of prayer. Nine different times we see in the Bible there, in this chapter, that he prays. And in Nehemiah 1, we have one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible. So we're going to look at how do you pray the kind of prayers that a person who has God's interests at heart pray? How do you even do that? Because God seemed to like to answer Nehemiah's prayers. <laughs> so if we can figure out what Nehemiah does, then we can figure out what we can do to pray more with a heart for God. So we're going to look at three questions. We're going to look at when should I pray, why should I pray, and then we're going to look at how. How do I actually pray? All based off the example of Nehemiah's prayer. Because let's be honest, we don't often feel like praying. We just don't. Hey, I'm a pastor, okay? I, I have a red phone to God, right? That's what people think. <laughs> Pastors, you got a red phone, don't you? No. You know what? And it's, it's got to be a discipline. It still takes discipline to get into prayer. It's just not the natural thing we first do. I'm so glad that so many of you are in the Daniel prayer challenge. Ten minutes a day, twice, two different times a day. I love that. Ten minutes each time, each, each, each section. I love that prayer uh, challenge. And that's going to change so many people's lives. But let's get to these questions in your notes there. When should I pray? Write this down, please, before I do anything else. When do I pray? Before I do anything else. Pastor Tom um, talked about this last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it's the first thing you got to do. The men had come back from Jerusalem, and look what it says. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. So I want you to write this down. A Christian does more than pray. But listen, you shouldn't do anything <laughs> until... You prayed. You shouldn't do anything else until you pray. Now, you're not going to sit there and kick your feet up and just kind of hang out and be like, all right, God, I prayed. Good. Go to work. No, you're going to do stuff. You're going to get involved. But first, first thing we do is pray. You know, what do you do when you get bad news? You scream, you yell, you freak out. I grew up, as I mentioned, an unfortunate Charger fan. And when I heard the Chargers were moving, I prayed curses down on the ownership of the Chargers and on the local government. We couldn't get stuff done to keep them, you know. But seriously, in your notes, in order to have an effective prayer life, you must make prayer a first priority, not a last resort. Most Southern Californians were busy people. Our schedules are full. Our wallets are empty. We got to work, 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 keep things going just to pay the bills pay the taxes in California. So, so we're so busy that naturally we don't take time 
to pray. We find ourselves too busy, too busy to pray. And we can look at Nehemiah and we could think, well, here's a guy who was a stoic, right? He was like a, a religious guy. He probably, you know, stayed up on a mountain and so he had time to pray. No, Nehemiah wasn't the religious leader of the day. The re- religious leader was Ezra. You can read about Ezra in the book before Nehemiah. Ezra was the religious leader of the day. Nehemiah was a secular leader. He was a, a go-getter. He was a doer. He was a manager. He was a leader. Talk about a busy guy. He was a man of action. He got the wall built in 52 days. Yet instead of immediately going out and doing that, when he heard of the problem, he went and he prayed. That's the first thing he did. He got alone with God. And this is why he could handle anything that came at him that could have been overwhelming. He had his time with the Lord. So number one, first thing we got to do when you're overwhelmed with regret is pray. Second question, why should I pray? Let me give you some reasons. Would you write these down? Number one, prayer shows I'm depending on God. Shows my dependence on him. The reason why we don't pray more, let's be honest, is we don't think we need to. I can handle this. God, I got this. We think we can do it on our own or we think we need to do it on our own. When you have a problem, the human reaction, the natural reaction is for us to think, what am I going to do about this? But what we should do is, God, what are you going to do about this? What do you want to do about this, God? Because the Bible tells us we've got to be connected to the Lord. Look what... Jesus says in John 15, 4 through 5, he says, remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If, everybody say if, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. He says, you can have no eternal impact. You can have nothing productive. You can have nothing of value. Apart from me. It's based on staying in the word. Staying connected to the vine. Through prayer. There is nothing God won't do for the person who is depending on him. My usefulness as a Christian and yours begins when I recognize my total dependence on Jesus Christ. Total dependence on him. And the way you know you're depending on God is that the first thing you do when a problem comes, when you feel overwhelmed is pray. But there's a second reason. Prayer lightens my load. I want you to write that down. It actually (sighs) lightens my load. The reason why Nehemiah prayed was because he was overwhelmed with the bad news. He was feeling a strong sense of regret for not paying attention to this matter sooner. When Nehemiah's heart was broken over the things that were going wrong in Israel, he took his problem right to the Lord. And God honors prayer. That comes from a genuinely concerned heart. He longs to hear us say, Lord, I can't handle this. Lord, I can't do this. But you can. Here's a fact. Here's what Christians get when you go to the Lord. Let's bring up the verse in Isaiah. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Anybody want some of that? Yeah, right? How do you get that? You go to the Lord. If you're going to be an effective Christian, it produces stress in this world. 
I don't know if you noticed, the world is not real favorable to those who hold a biblical worldview, who say, God said it, I believe it, that does it. (laughs) That's going to produce some stress in your life. But it's also going to produce massive opportunities for you to pray, for you to watch God work. Because when you hold to the word of God and you say, God, I believe in you, it doesn't matter what everyone else is saying, whatever culture is doing, God shows up. God says, I was looking for someone like you. I'm looking for someone like you. That's huge because we got to be more concerned with impact than we do with comfort. Pastor Tom mentioned that. There will be stress. Here's a third reason why we should pray. Please write this down. Prayer releases God's power. Nothing else releases God's power like the prayer of faith. So I went to, uh, a couple days ago, I went to Harbor Freight. Anybody ever been to Harbor Freight? Come on, huh? You get that ad, man, and it's like, I got to have this. It's 20% off. You see that? I got a 20% coupon, right? And they put all that stuff in there. And you're just going, yeah, I don't have one of those. I need one of those. I don't know if I ever do any welding, but it's cheap enough. I'm going to buy it, right? You just buy stuff because it's there and it's cheap. I'm sure it's a good quality item. But anyway, it's on sale, right? So I go there and I bring my little... My little boy, Levi, he's six, he's with me. And he says, Dad, can I hold the basket? And so I'm only getting one or two things. <laughs> Try that at Harbor Freight. And so I said, go ahead, hold the basket. So he's got the little hand basket. And I go over to uh, the socket set because a friend of mine said, you got to get those ratcheting wrenches, man. They're unbelievable. And I got regular wrenches. No, you got to get the ratcheting ones. Oh, okay. Well, Harbor Freight has them for $9.99, a whole set of them, good quality items. So I'm going to put it in the basket. So I put it in the basket. No problem. He's holding that around. And then I got to go get a 130-piece tool set for my RV because I got an RV now. Okay, so I got to get a 130-piece tool set because it's on sale for $37.99. That's a good quality item, right? So it's a, And it comes with a case. So I put that in. Now his hand's like this. I go, you want me to go get a regular, you know, push cart? And he says, no, dad, I got it. I got it. And if you ever knew Levi, he's like, Mr. Independent, I'm going to do it. I got it, right? So so I'm thinking, okay, are you sure? He's like, yeah. Okay. So then we're walking around. Of course, there's other things on sale. I got to get them. So I throw a couple other things. Now it's getting heavier. And now I'm just like, let's go get it. Let's go get it. No, dad, I got it. And he's almost dragging it. He's just, and I'm just waiting for him, right? I'm trying to teach him a lesson. You need to ask for help. It's okay. But no, he's got it. He's got it. And so then I'm just like, okay, I'm going to find something else. So I get like a gun safe. Here we go. Boom. Right? Whoa. He's just, yeah. he's trying to bring. I said, you want me to get a cart? And finally, he says, daddy, it's too heavy. All right, let's go get some help. Okay. So we go and get the cart. See, it's the same way with God. So often we're trying to carry these burdens ourselves. We're trying to do it ourselves, And God's just waiting for us to say, daddy. It's too heavy. I can't do it. I need your help. God, you can do this. God, you can carry this burden. See, when you do that, it releases God's power. It releases God's power to show up in amazing ways. But I don't know why he doesn't just sometimes show up. I think it's the same thing. You know, we want to have that communication. We want to have that relation. God wants that relationship with us. So he wants us to ask. Ask for help from him. Look what it says in Jeremiah God says, call to me and I will what? Answer you. Call to me, he says. Prayer can do whatever God can do. Whatever God can do, prayer can do. Prayer 
taps into the very resources of God. That's powerful. All right, let's talk about how. If you're like me, you love the practical. And, you know, to be sure, the Bible has some mystery in it. But it wasn't given to us for mystery. The Bible has poetry in it, and it has love, story, and stuff like that in it. But you know why the Bible was given to us? Right? It was given to us to help us understand God and to help us understand how to live this life to glorify God. So it was given to us for clarity. Clarity. It's not meant for us to be like, ah, he gave it to us so we would understand it and how to live this life to the full, as it says in John 10, 10. So let's talk about the practical. How? How do I pray? I I want a heart like Nehemiah. I want answers like Nehemiah got. So how do I pray? (laughs) Well, let's take a look at that. How should I pray? Verses 5 through 11 will show us, and you can learn a lot about a person by the kind of prayer that they pray. A canned prayer. You know, just when someone just kind of says, oh, God, you know, blessed, blessed. It, it can prayer. It really indicates a dried up spirit. A, 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 a prayer that's kind of like a Christmas list, you know, of, of wants and desires and things like that. That, that indicates kind of a selfish heart. A, a, an impressive prayer. You, you ever been around someone that like when they're talking to you, they're talking like this and then they go to prayer. And it's like, oh, God, the Father of heaven. No. And all of a sudden you're like, what? And I kind of picture God is like saying, Wait, who's that? You know? <laughs> right? Well, when someone does that, that, that almighty kind of impressive, you know, prayer, I, that's, that indicates kind of a prideful, arrogant heart. You know, they're trying to be impressive. I mean, you've probably been at a dinner table with someone sometimes, you know, and they start going and like the food is right in front and you're smelling it. And they're going on and on about the graciousness of God and providing this meal. And they're going, and you're just like, it's getting cold, man. Do your devotional some other time, right? That indicates some kind of a pride that's there, you know? And we learn a lot about Nehemiah by looking at the kind of prayer he prayed. When he first heard about the downfall of Jerusalem, Man, he prayed for four months. This isn't some casual prayer. The prayer we're going to look at gives us a pattern. So this is something key. I don't want you to miss this. I put this in your notes here. I want you to think about this. Whenever people in the Bible ask God to do something, they present a basis for it. They present a basis for it. God, I want you to do this because. So here's the part I put in your notes is you've got to ask yourself this question. Why should God answer my prayer? Why? Why should he answer this prayer? Well, Nehemiah shows a wonderful pattern of how we should go about this. I'm going to give you four keys from his prayer and his life. Number one, we base the request on God's character. You base your request on his character. Look what he says in verse 5. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him... And obey his command. Nehemiah said three things about God in that verse. One, I want you to write this down. God, you are great. That's God's position. God, you are great. Secondly, he says, God, you are awesome. What is he saying? That shows God's power. He's saying, you are an awesome God. You're powerful. Whoa. And then he says, God, you keep your promises. That's his faithful covenant. To people who love him. 
The first thing Nehemiah did was he acknowledged who God is. That's praise. In your prayer life, start with praise. You know, that's why we start the service with music. Praise music. We start the service that way because we want our hearts first to be open to God and ready for God. But it's a reminder to us of how great God is. And it's a reminder to us of his incredible promises. We sing those incredible songs about the faithfulness of God. We sing the incredible song, the power in the name of Jesus. We do that as a reminder of how awesome he is and how faithful to his promises he always is. That's why it's so huge to sing those songs. Last weekend, I mentioned I was in Colorado and I just popped into this little church service. I love doing that when I'm on vacation or whatever because then I could just be a visitor and just pop, just check stuff out, learn some stuff. It's great. So I'm at this little church service in Colorado, little little mining town in Colorado, and they're singing these old hymns. And I got to tell you, I, I'm a young guy, but I love old hymns. And I, I, this one was just about the greatness of God. And I'm sitting there and, and just singing this song. And they had the sheet, and you read it. And, and I'm singing the song, and I'm just overcome with the presence and power of God. Maybe it was because we're up 9,000 feet in the mountains, snow-capped mountains. But it was just like this powerful, and I'm just like, <laughs> and I mean, I'm just like overcome with this emotion. I'm not an emotional guy. And I'm just overcome with this emotion. I'm thinking, these people are looking at me like, oh, he did something wrong. <laughs> he's here repenting. we never seen this boy before, but mm, good, he's here. You know, I just could picture him looking at me, but I couldn't help it, man. I'm just like, this is so good. And it was just such a great reminder. That's why we sing praise songs, because we're just reminded of the awesomeness of God. And in that moment, I was just reminded of how good he is and how awesome he is. And this is what Nehemiah is doing. He's starting his prayer off by saying, by praising God, you're powerful, God, you're awesome. And you always keep your promises. He says, I know the problems over there in Jerusalem may be great, but you are greater. You're bigger, God. And some of you need to hear that. God is bigger than your mess. He's bigger than your problem. Whatever's got you overwhelmed, he's bigger. Man, I love that. He starts off by getting the right perspective. So, number one, you base your request on God's character. Number two, confess the sin in my life. Pastor Ricky a couple weeks ago, talked about this. You remember he had the guy on his back, the burden. We got to let go of that burden. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to take a little different take. Not only do we confess our own sin, but look what Nehemiah does. He takes it a step further. In verse 6, it says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night, the people of Israel. I confess the sin we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, Committed against you. See, Nehemiah, he wasn't alive when the Israelites were exiled away from Israel. He wasn't even alive yet. He was born in captivity. And yet he claims responsibility for the sins of his family and the sins of his country. He says, we acted wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and the decrees and the laws you gave your servant Moses. See, in America, we're not used to that kind of thing. We're so individualistic. We're taught to confess my sins. When's the last time you ever confessed the sins of your family, previous generations? When's the last time you confessed the sins of your country? (laughs) The sins of, uh, I mean, 
the sins of your business. But Nehemiah gives us a pattern. It's sin in our life. We've got to confess it, all of it. It wasn't Nehemiah's fault that they went into captivity, yet he's taken part in that because we're all in this together. We're all part of it. There's one phrase that, man, I never want to hear. <laughs> is I got to do what's best for me. People say that all the time. I got to do what's best for me. Yeah, I remember Jesus saying that. Yeah, I got to do what's best for me. No, right? We never went to the cross for our sins if it was all about me. We're in this together. It's a corporate thing. All kinds of things get justified with the phrase, I got to do what's best for me. People leaving their spouses and their families because I got to do what's best for me. Nehemiah says, no, not only do I have personal sin to confess, but I have corporate sin, national sin. So I base my request on who he is. I confess sin. And three, I claim the promises of God. Watch this. This will transform your prayer life. Verses 8 and 9. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, there's a big word there, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And that's exactly what God did. But look at this next one. But what's the word? If, right? There's another. But if you return to me and obey my commands... Then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Would you circle that in your notes, the if, or in your Bible, if you have it there? Nehemiah is praying to the Lord and saying, I want you to remember what you told your servant Moses. Can you imagine saying, God, you have to remember? <laughs> That's what he does, though. God warned us through Moses, but you also promised us. All through the Bible, you find God's people reminding God of what he said he would do. You see it in Abraham. You see it in Moses. You see it in David. You see it in the prophets. God, I want to remind you of your promises. Now, here's a question. Does God have to be reminded of his promises? Does he forget? No. Then why do we do it? Because it reminds us. It's clarifying for us. It helps us remember what God said. It actually pleases God for us to remind him of a promise. Hey, your kids ever forget a promise that you make them? <laughs> oh, right? That's why we got to be really careful when we promise our kids something. They don't forget anything. And the Bible tells us, look, if you, being an imperfect father, still will keep your promises or will give good gifts to your kids, how much more your heavenly, perfect heavenly father will also give you good gifts. He's saying God will never forget his promise. It's for us to be encouraged. There are over 7,000 promises in the Bible waiting for you. Waiting for you to say, God, when you said this, I trust you will do this. Nehemiah could claim these promises because he knew them. And a couple of the ones he mentions in this very prayer come from Leviticus 26 and another one from Deuteronomy 30. When's the last time you memorized a promise from Leviticus or Deuteronomy? <laughs> but they're in there. So here's the point. The strength of my prayer life is determined by how well I know the promises of God. I'm telling you, you got to get in the word. The more you get in there and you find a promise and you hold on to that, that just invigorates your prayer life because you go to God with this promise and then he acts on it and you go, yes. Number four. Be very specific in what I ask for. When you go to prayer, be very specific. 
In order to get specific answers, you've got to make specific requests. This is huge. Verse 10, he says this. Look at this. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. All of that leads to this request. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. Nehemiah needed success. If you know the context of this scripture, you understand that a king had the power of life and death in his hands. And as Nehemiah was preparing to go to the king, he knew the king could easily think, oh, you're going to build up a conspiracy against me. That's why you want to go off with your head. Just like that. And it was over. And as a matter of fact, it was such a big deal. Nehemiah was so concerned and so scared because the king had already ordered There will not be a wall rebuilt in Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah has this humongous burden. And he realizes, oh my goodness, the king could just kill me in an instant. And Nehemiah was asking for extended time off, at least three months to go and get this wall built. So he had all this overwhelming sense. So he prayed for success, that God would move this man's heart. He wasn't hesitant to pray for success. He's very bold in his praying. Have you ever prayed, Lord, make me successful? (laughs) I hope so. I hope you have. If you haven't, then you should be doing something else. If you can't pray for the Lord to bless what you're doing, do something else. You should pray, Lord, make me successful. For the glory of God, make me successful. What's the alternative? Ah, Lord, make me a loser. Huh? Make me a failure. Right? No, you go to him for the glory of God. I'm going to pray boldly. Make me successful in this, Lord. God doesn't want you to waste your life. Now remember, this is just a sample prayer out of four months of praying. So here's what I want to close up with and get your mind around. Think about this. This wasn't the prayer that he started with. Okay? I can picture it that he started by saying, hey, Lord, you know, the walls are broken down. This is pretty embarrassing for you. You ought to go do something about that. I bet that's how it started, something along those lines. You know, you ought, to, you ought to get those guys to build something. And then as he continued to pray, and this is what happens. Sometimes you wonder, why isn't God answering my prayer? Because he wants you to clarify it. He wants you to get a better understanding of how you're supposed to be involved in the answer. So over time, Nehemiah is praying, God, when are you going to do something about that? And then all of a sudden, I think God kind of pokes his heart a little bit and says, Nehemiah, Aren't you being a little bit uh, hypocritical? Why don't you get involved? I want you to build the wall. I want you to lead the people to make that happen. Over time, that prayer became clearer and clearer. And now he's finally praying, God, give me success. I've got four quick things in your notes there. The type of prayer that God answers. Four marks of Nehemiah's prayer that are the same four marks that you need to have in your praying. When you're overwhelmed with whatever it might be. Number one, it's a prayer of conviction. Would you write that down? A prayer of conviction of who God is. God, you're great. You're in control. You want to hear me and you want to answer. Praise is just bragging on God. Secondly, it's a prayer of confession. 
of who I am. God, I've blown it. I've made mistakes. I'm imperfect. You specifically list your sins and say, God, I repent. I change my mind. You know, the Greek word when we see confess is the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia simply means to change our mind. We actually agree with God that behavior is dishonoring. I confess. Thirdly, it's a prayer of confidence of what God has promised. I know who you are, God. I know what I am, and I know what you've said. And I claim this promise. I believe in you, and I believe you're going to answer. And lastly, it's a prayer of commitment. When you make a prayer, and you say to God, these three, and you come to the commitment, God, how can I be part of the answer? God, I'm willing to be part of the answer. Those things need to be built over there. God, I'm willing. I'm available. Send me. As you do these things, you guys. Now, you're not going to remember all this. That's why you have notes. Keep those notes. Keep them in your Bible somewhere. All right, there's notes here every week for you. That's so you can go back and say, what was that about the prayer? Oh, yeah. And I'm telling you, as you do this, you practice these things, you're going to see your prayer life go to a whole new level, and you'll never be overwhelmed again. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for these wonderful people. Thank you for what you're doing in all of our lives as you want us to grow closer to you and stay connected to the vine. We thank you for Nehemiah. We thank you for his example of prayer. Thank you for leading us. If you're here today or you're at one of our campuses and you've never said yes to Jesus, it's very simple. ABC. It's a simple start. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no religiosity you got to do. It's a relationship. It's A, B, C. A, admit you're a sinner. You got to tell them, I've blown it, Lord. B, you got to believe that Jesus can save you, that he's the only one. And C, you got to choose to put your life in Jesus' hands. Just tell him in the silence of your heart, Jesus, lead me from this day forward. God, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Thank you, guys. I love you. Thanks for having me today.